I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, McAllen, Texas. I hope you have your Bible open and you are ready in Mark chapter 15. In Mark 15 and 16, we are near the end of Christ's earthly life, yet as we track God's plan through the Bible, this is a culmination of prophecy and a great expression of grace providing atonement that becomes opportunity for sinners to be forgiven and live righteous lives looking to heaven as their destination. Jesus died to make this possible for us. Now, there are some emotionally strong and sad narratives here. But we read and study this knowing what links God went to to provide for our salvation. Let's start in verses 1 through 5. Mark chapter 15. I'm reading verses 1 through 5. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. The Jews delivered Jesus to Pilate, and that was in their wicked scheme necessary to seek his death by crucifixion to be authorized by the Romans. Notice in verse 3, the chief priest accused him of many things. At this point, Jesus made no further answer. Let's continue. Verse 6 down through verse 15. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him released for them, Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do? with the man you call the king of the Jews. And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So, you can see there what the custom was for one to be released at the feast, and that criminal was Barabbas. 
Pilate gave opportunity for the release of Jesus, for he knew envy was behind it. Their response was to ask for Barabbas to be set free and Jesus to be crucified. Last phrase in verse 15, he delivered him to be crucified. I'm going to read now the next section, which is 16 through 19. We are in Mark chapter 15, and we're reading now 16 through 19. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Now, I want you to notice how many soldiers, a battalion. In Roman military, 600 men. And did you notice in the previous paragraph, he was scourged. That's a severe beating. So here is one man, a perfect man, meek and gentle, committed to the Creator, guilty of no sin. He has done nothing against God's law or Roman law. He is beaten, and 600 soldiers are deployed. He is mocked and led off to be crucified. Now let's read about that. 21 through 32. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, and he did not take it. And they crucified him, and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who destroyed the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. That's 21 through 32 in Mark 15. And this is, of course, a tale of extremely immature mockery exhibiting the wickedness of these men. 
parallel accounts over in Matthew 27, Luke 23, and John 19. It must never escape our notice when we read this, that Christ went through this so that we might be saved from sin, live righteously, and go to heaven. He was mocked, reviled, beaten, derided, and killed. We continue now in Mark 15 at verse 33 over through verse 41. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lami sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud voice, and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the younger, and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Finally, in this section, some good people. These women who had ministered to him, and had come to Jerusalem with him. Notice verse 37 marks the death. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And then the final section in Mark 15 is 42 through 47. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Well, here's another good example. Joseph of Arimathea. And notice what it says. He took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate granted the body to Joseph, 
the body was prepared and placed in a tomb. And I want us to notice he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Well, that's our read through of Mark 15. And before I offer further observations, I want you to think about how important this account is of the death of Jesus Christ. Remembering what I said earlier, that this is the perfect expression of God's love and grace. And as we respond to the gospel, we become recipients and participants in the grace of God, having our sins forgiven, we're able to walk in newness of life. I'm going to be right back and give you some of my observations. Mark 15, observations and takeaways. If you ever think or suspect that you might be losing your love for the Lord, perhaps just in the beginning stages, go back and read Mark chapter 15. In addition to all your other Bible knowledge, your attendance at services, your association and participation with other Christians, this ought to move you. Reignite your faith and refresh your reverence and your gratitude. Read this and reflect on this when you partake of the Lord's Supper, but also there may be other times of struggle, temptation, or just sluggishness when you need to give this passage a fresh read accompanied by prayer. He went through this for us so that death can be victory for us, we who are his responsive and obedient people. The choice of Barabbas represents the human preference for the guilty over the innocent. Barabbas appeals to our basic instinct to protect our interests no matter if violence is necessary. In contemporary culture, there is still violence. We are bombarded with violence and vengeance on the news, trending every day. If the vote came up again today, would it be Barabbas or Jesus? Think about it. Here's something I don't think is a trivial detail. In verse 17, they twisted together a crown of thorns. This is not a trick question. I just want us to think about it. Is there a passage in the Bible where thorns are used as a positive image, standing for something good? Here's what my thoughts are. First, thorns were not in creation in the beginning. Thorns and thistles came as a result of sin, Genesis 3, 17 to 19. Second, in Numbers 33, 55, the Lord said through Moses to the Israelites, if you don't drive the previous occupants out of the land, they will become for you like barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. Third, in Matthew 7, 15 to 19, Jesus speaks and warns about false teachers, and he says what they produce is compared to thorns. Fourth, what was it that troubled the apostle Paul? 
According to 2 Corinthians 12, he spoke of his thorn in the flesh. Thorns are all about pain and suffering. <coughs> Jesus wore that crown of thorns so that his people, his faithful people, might someday wear what Paul called the crown of righteousness. Simon, the Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, may help us understand something that is part of the scene here. First, there's a pretty strong case that can be made that the Rufus here is the same as the one mentioned by Paul in Romans 16, 13. Not certain of that, but it seems it might be very possible. Hence, what started as a forced service turned out to be a genuine blessing for a family and perhaps many others. But I wanted to bring up something else. Simon was compelled to do this. We have the great privilege of being invited to bear the cross with Jesus. I want us to see the business of being impressed or compelled or drafted carries with it a bitterness, an involuntary labor that our heart may not accept. We, on the other hand, are invited to carry, to share in, to partake of the suffering of Christ, to have commitment that is our choice. The contrast between being forced and making a choice, well illustrated here in the story of Simon. Here's a lesson to learn from Mark 15. Mockery is never presented to us in Scripture in a good light. Speaking the truth, exposing sin, issuing needed rebuke, yes, all of that done with righteous intent and manner, yes, but never ridicule, never mockery, making fun of someone we don't like. When we ridicule someone, we are using the same methods as Jesus' enemies. We're not helping anyone. We are resorting to a childish, selfish method that has no spiritual value. Righteous people know better than to use this verbal method of insult. James 2.12 says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Even if in politics and the entertainment media and the news media, mockery is commonplace, not for Christians. We may all remember in elementary school, junior high, even high school, if someone mocked you, the common response was to mock them back. If someone made fun of you, you make fun of them in response. If someone called you an ugly name, you found some name that was uglier in your response. This just isn't mature. And righteous people refrain from these kinds of immature responses. Paul said, never avenge yourselves and do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Think about the sins that put Jesus on the cross. Pride, envy, jealousy, betrayal, greed, indifference. <clears throat> you could just keep adding to that list. And I believe 
One lesson we need to learn from all this is these sins have a presence through temptation in people today. Justice is still perverted. Truth is still ignored. Sin is still dismissed. Crowd violence continues to be a problem in our society. The cross reveals God's incredible love. <clears throat> Excuse me. The cross enables us to see how God is with respect to his permanent interest in us, in our present and eternal well-being. Christ's innocence, our guilt, God's grace to provide redemption. Thank you for listening.